Reactor online. Sensors online. Weapons online. All systems nominal. Hello everyone, this is Carrie here with Unicorn Company, and I would like to first of all wish you all a happy new year. Now, normally we cover the news at this part, but today we won't be doing that. Instead, we will be diving straight into our subjects today. First of all, we will be talking about... Oh, why am I having trouble talk reading? Um, anyway... We'll be talking about the new Alpha Strike box set and what is found within. A video review will be following up soon enough. Next, we'll be talking about what is going on in 2022 for the game, where I just sort of give my thoughts on everything that has gone on over the past year. After that, we will look at one of the mechs found within the Alpha Strike box set in depth. It is renowned as a battle taxi since its introduction. It is known as a high-speed assassin since the introduction of heavy lasers, and it is a staple in Alpha Strike when it is available, as well as a slight diversion from this season's arachnid theme, the Dasher. Finally, in a weird switch to avoid spoilers for those who wish to avoid them, and have been living under a rock in 2022, we will be talking about the collection of the Fox Patrol stories known as Fox Tales by Brian Young. This may be our longest episode yet, so let's get going. First, let's take a look at the Alpha Strike box set. This is probably going to be a bit brief, but this will be covered much better in a later video. This box set is something that the players of the game have been asking for for a while, and much like the long, long-awaited clan invasion box set, it is finally a thing. The box set comes in at a retail price of $79.99. For this, you get a lot of stuff. First of all, you get a total of 13 mech miniatures. This includes 8 Inner Sphere mechs and 5 Clan mechs. The Inner Sphere mechs are a Locust, Wasp, Blackjack, Phoenix Hawk, Wraith, Archer, Warhammer, and Atlas. These are all solid designs and the sculpts look very good. A few of them are unique to this box set. The Archer, Wraith, and Locust are all standouts. Um, the clan mechs include a Fire Moth, also known as a Dasher, a Pouncer, a Nova, sometimes known as a Black Hawk, Timberwolf, or Mad Cat, and a Warhawk, or Masakari. Uh, the Warhawk is also a new sculpt. Um, of the clan mechs, the Dasher, Pouncer, and Warhawk are Definitely unique to the box set, so I didn't need that little part. But anyway, um, also, yes, I use both the Inner Sphere and Clan designations depending on whichever sounds nicer to me and is easier to pronounce. Because, quite frankly, Warhawk is easier than Masakari, Madcat than Timberwolf, and Blackhawk just sounds better to me. As far as the quality of the miniatures, other than an odd pose for the Locust, where it is sort of looking upward with all its weapons... At least in my box, um, I did check my partner's and hers are level. So you may or may not have a Locust looking up. Um, all the models are of a very good quality. Also the Warhawk, which in its original pose sometimes suffered from an issue of the roof being slightly concave, does not seem to suffer from this issue. 
the box set also comes with several buildings, which are sized from small one-inch squares that provide partial cover to buildings with roughly a 12-square-inch footprint that are tall enough to hide a mech behind. In total, it comes out to 15 buildings. The box also comes with 10 tree stands and shows ways to determine how the trees affect line of sight, even including diagrams. Um, the included starter rulebook also includes recommendations for the scale of terrain and how to make templates for woods and water. And I believe it also has a uh, small thing about how to make hills. In the rulebook, it also has a small recognition guide for the included minis, a number of scenarios which help introduce the, ga introduce the game with a listing of order in which they should be played to help introduce new players to Alpha Strike. On page seven, it specifies the standard play area is six foot by four foot, or for my European listeners who use the metric system, 1.8288 by 1.2192 meters. I didn't take the time to figure it out in centimeters. I know it's literally just moving the decimal around. Um, with player home edges being on the long edges. I do have my own thoughts on the size of a tournament table, but I can understand the 6x4 as it allows for players to play a reasonably sized game and actually allows for the ability to maneuver and to use the long range and indirect fire capabilities of certain units. The box set also comes with a set of battlefield support cards, which add things like airstrikes and artillery to the game with a way to easily incorporate them. There's only one thing that I truly worry about with the box set, and that is that it might eventually be seen as something like the X-Wing box set, where people begin to believe that the only way you can play a competitive game is on a 6x4 table with 15 buildings, 10 tree stands, using those trees to create wooded areas, and that the force size in the game is represented by what's exactly in the box. Other than that, though, I believe this box set is incredibly well designed and makes the game accessible to new players coming into Alpha Strike. I know that some Battletech purists look at Alpha Strike as like the poor man's Battletech or a cheap knockoff, but I believe that in the long run it may be one of the things which helps to give the game more longevity, simply because of the fact that it is so much easier to learn, as well as not requiring nearly the same investment in books as to play Catalyst or sorry, not Catalyst, has to play classic Battletech at this point, you need to have multiple books to use and still require the use of hex maps, whereas in Alpha Strike, the game requires a playing area, some terrain, and one comprehensive rulebook. Now, while we're on the subject of the Alpha Strike box set, I do want to mention our sponsor, Fortress Miniatures and Games. Fortress has just about anything you need for Battletech and Alpha Strike. Right now, if you go on their website and search Alpha Strike, it will link you to everything that they have related to the game from the box set and Commander's Edition rulebook to tokens, mats, force packs, and terrain all on one page. The best thing is that they offer everything at a significant discount to its MSRP price so that the Alpha Strike box set, as of this episode being released, is currently selling for $59.99. $20 off the regular price, and the Commander's Edition rulebook is $29.99. So you can get everything you need to leap into the game for less than $100.
Fortress Miniatures and Games also sells individual Catalyst miniatures and has a selection of Ironwind Metals minis, as well as decals from Fighting Piranha Graphics so you can put all the finishing touches on your models. So visit FortressMiniaturesandGames.com today. That last part sounded very ad-like, but then again, it is sort of an ad. Anyway, um, in the past, we have seen so much happen, which I might have wanted to segue into this better. I apologize. So we're going to look at 2022 now. Um, to be fair, I don't remember all of the events of the past year. There are a few big things that did happen. To me, there are a few things that had a major impact. Uh, the first of these is that we finally got some source books, which brought us into the Ill Clan era. These source books, which we are about halfway through, give us a region-by-region -region look at the Inner Sphere as it stands at the beginning of the era. These led off with Tamar Rising, which showed us the area which uh, was Clan Jade Falcon's occupation zone and is now more akin to the Chaos March. We got a look at the region of space that covers the Free Worlds League and primarily its border with the Wolf Empire as well as a look at the Empire itself, as it is isolated from the rest of the Wolves on Terra. We're waiting now on Dominions Divided, which will give us a look at the Draconis Combine, Federated Suns, and Ghost, Bears, Ghost Bear Dominion, as well as possibly some of the going-ons on the Torian border. The next thing I wanted to mention is the announcement of both the specific Mercenary Boxes, as well as the Mercenary Kickstarter, which will be starting this March. The boxes are independent of this, but I suspect that they are as much there to get new plastic sculpts out into the wild as much as they are to bring visibility to the various big-name mercs of the Inner Sphere before the launch of the Kickstarter. Although they were originally supposed to come out after the launch, but six of one half dozen the other or whatever, right? Right. Um, of course, in the middle of the year, we had the entire thing with Blaine and the fact that Catalyst decided to no longer use him as a writer for the universe. I know there are a lot of opinions out there about this, but also that there are some recent events that have fanned the, the embers of this as well, and um, that occurred near the end of the year. So, <sighs> um we did have the whole Rommel thing about the Patton and Rommel, and you know what? It really doesn't make a difference. The model is the tank. Either tank uses the same model. It doesn't matter. Uh, but I don't want to rehash that too much either. Um, then, though, we had what I think is one of the most amazing parts of the year, which is something that I know that a lot of us were waiting for, and that was the release of the Alpha Strike box, which I just talked about a moment ago. And I have to say, it totally blows away expectations, which I and many other people had. There have been a few of us in the community, very vocally and loudly, asking for something like this. I even recall years ago musing about how they needed to have faction-based boxes. Um, this was back when the old Alpha Strike boxes were out, which uh, some of you may not have been around for. And those were of questionable quality and i remember picking up a ton of them dirt cheap but they were fun for bolstering forces and for letting new players use at cons and stuff so there, there was a there was a perk to them and if you lop them off of the base right you could just mount them on a metal base and almost nobody could tell until they picked it up that it wasn't an ironwood metals model which also speaks to some of the quality issues of previous years but anyway i'm i'm 
going off on a rant. Um, so, but I do recall having this thought that they needed faction boxes. Um, and we are starting to see those first with the Wolf's Dragoons Barnes and Noble exclusive box. And now we're seeing even more with things like the Mercenaries boxes and Kickstarter. Finally, I wanted to mention that we, as a community, raised almost $7,000 for the Trevor Project. So that was an awesome thing, and it made 2022 very wonderful. Hopefully this next rotation around the sun, we will see even greater things with the new Kickstarter, the release of the rest of the books for the beginning of the Ill Clan era, and our community, the Battletech community as a whole, can leave the drama of 2022 behind us. Because the review of Fox Tales will contain spoilers, and I want those of you who haven't read it to avoid them if you wish, um, or to be able to, we will be doing this episode's Mech Tech a bit out of order today, so that if you want to avoid those spoilers, you can listen to this and stop listening after we talk about the Dasher. Just to warn you, I did all the variants. First of all, we became familiar with this mech when it entered the scene in Tech Readout 3050. The Dasher had what could be said one of the most unique looks of any of the mechs in the technical readout, for the clans at least. It has long spindly legs, a thin torso, as well as its very unique inverted arms. The reason for these arms being upside down when compared to just about every mech in existence isn't to allow it to fire over, th fire over things, um, much like the Marauders Auto Cannon 5, which eh, doesn't really work in game terms, but, you know, fluff. Um, but it makes riding it into battle easier for the newly introduced at least then newly introduced, clan elemental battle armor. The inverted arms make it easier to jump on and mount and dismount compared to other mechs. Except, of course, that much like the Marauder's AC-5, it has no actual um, game effect because of the inverted arms, and the odd cork was dropped in the redesign of the mech, the Dasher 2. But that mech is a story for a different day. The Dasher itself is a terrifyingly fast mech with a top speed of 216 kilometers an hour with its my oh excuse me with its Myomer acceleration system circuitry engaged. Might that might mean signal circuitry. Uh anyway. And without a speed without it a speed of 162 kilometers an hour. If you're engaging the mask system on and off, so as to minimize the possibility of it damaging your ability to move from overuse, the mech cruises along at an average speed of 189 kilometers an hour. The base chassis is built on an endo. The base mech is built on an endosteel chassis, clad in two tons of ferrofibrous armor, and uses a 200-rated extra-light engine to maximize the amount of weight available for its payload, which comes out to about six and a half tons that it has for that mission payload. <sighs> the, okay, yeah, we're going to get into the long part here. So y'all hold on. Um, <laughs> don't know where the timestamps will be for anything. I apologize, but you can just kind of skip a little bit and you'll get to the Alpha Strike stuff. That's what you're here for. 
the primary configuration of this mech is a good all-round short-range fighter, recon mech, and battle taxi. It uses its high speed to deliver its battle armor up close to the enemy and is armed with a pair of ER medium lasers in its left arm, an SRM-6 in its right arm, and an SRM-4 in its right torso. This makes it very brutal when compared to its inner sphere counterparts, and it has a battle value of 1251 because of that blistering speed and close-range armament. The Alpha configuration of the Fire Moth is a full-on recon unit. Using its pod space to carry a suite of electronics warfare equipment, which include a target acquisition gear laser designator uh, to spot for Aero 4 artillery weapons for guided munitions, and an active probe which allows it to detect, to detect hidden enemy units. The mech carries an anti-missile system in an attempt to give it greater survivability, and its only offensive weapon is a Streak SRM-4 launcher in the right torso. The battle value of the Alpha configuration is 639. Give me a minute. I need a drink. Um, I've been talking for a bit here. Uh, what are we at? We are only at 16 minutes. Wow. I must be talking pretty fast. If I'm talking too fast, I apologize. It just feels like there's so much to go through. So. Uh, let's see. That was the Alpha, right? Yeah. The Dasher Bravo is geared towards anti-infantry work, mounting a medium pulse laser in its left arm and right torso, as well as two machine guns in the right arm, with an anti-personnel pod in its right leg, and an ECM suite rounds, up, rounds the machine out, giving it the ability to jam enemy electronic systems. In classic, this machine is quite deadly to any unarmored infantry that it does encounter, and its pulse lasers make it highly accurate when targeting small, high-speed vehicles and other light mechs. The Bravo has a battle value of 1064. Uh, Dasher Charlie is a long-range support variant. Didn't want to go down that far. Um, which uses its speed to quickly move to give fire support to friendly units. Or it would if the clans weren't some kind of honor-worshipping oddballs who like to fight one-on-one -on -one when they designed this. In that case, the Dasher is underwhelming, but we will look at it through the eyes of an Inner Sphere mindset, and even a later clan mindset. In that case, the mech, which carries a pair of LRM-5 launchers, one in each arm, with an anti-missile system, to try and give it more survivability, uh, decent it, it it's a mobile fire support platform just not the most efficient charlie comes in at a battle value of 741 let's see delta delta configuration is built with an eye towards accurate high speed attacks does this through the use of five er medium lasers two in each arm and one in the right torso these are all linked to an advanced targeting computer the mech also has a flamer, which allows it to literally cook any infantry which it may encounter, and has a battle value of 2307. The Echo configuration seems like a test bed, if anything. Uh, it mounts a single weapon system, an advanced tactical missile uh, 6, if I recall correctly, I didn't write that down, uh, which allows it to either hit at extreme ranges or hit like a brick up close. The Echo has a battle value of 822. 
Um, the Foxtrot appears to be an upgrade of the concept of the Bravo. In this case, though, it carries a trio of ear medium lasers, giving it a respectable amount of damage against other light mechs. And for anti-infantry attacks, it has a trio of anti-personnel Gauss rifles. So these are essentially um, rail machine guns. No other way to describe it. Take a rail gun and turn it into a GAU-8. Or, yeah, maybe a 50 cal, something like that. Um, to find any hidden enemy mechs or enemy units that it's attempting to suss out and shoot with these little tiny Gauss rifle machine guns, um, it does have an active probe. This configuration has a battle value of 1461. The Gulf configuration is terrifyingly fast in close fighter. It is and this is going to be a little long for the Gulf, and I apologize, but it is one of three configurations where apparently someone looked at the Dasher and said, you know what this needs? More speed. The mech has an engine supercharger added to it, giving it a top speed of 270 kilometers per hour. To put that in perspective, for those not familiar with kilometers per hour and know freedom units better, it can move at speeds of up to 167.77 miles per hour. While that doesn't seem extremely fast, when you think about each turn taking 10 seconds um, and each hex being 30 meters, I went and crunched the math, and this mech pulls an 8-second quarter mile. It is in the area of supercars, at least on acceleration, like the Bugatti Veyron. Aside from being ridiculously fast, this configuration carries an improved heavy four improved heavy medium lasers, sorry, with a targeting computer, making it extremely accurate up close. The Gulf configuration has a battle value of 2041. Hotel configuration predates the Gulf, uh, which clan stuff, weird. It's the, the hotel or the H because it was the first dash to mount heavy lasers. Um, and this older weapon system, though, makes it a terrifying little monster. Despite its low battle value, it carries nine heavy small lasers. Each one is about as about as effective, actually slightly more, than an inner sphere medium laser. All of these are linked to a targeting computer, making up for the targeting issues with heavy lasers and giving it a battle value of 779. The India configuration is an odd sniper design of the Dasher, uh, carrying as its primary weapon an extended range large laser and backing this up with an LRM-5. For close range situations, it does have an improved heavy small laser and comes in at a battle value of 1260. The Juliet carries as its main weapon a plasma cannon, which causes heat instead of damage in order to do actual damage though the juliet has two er small lasers and an er pulse laser in the left arm this configuration has a battle value of 1140. the kilo configuration is yet another anti-infantry design built to take on both your bog standard pbis as well as battle armor for the first job it carries in each arm a trio of light machine guns linked to an array allowing them to all attack as one weapon well separately for each array. Um, it also carries a battle armor pod in each leg and rounds out its firepower with a heavy medium laser in each arm. 
the kilo has a battle value of 884. Now the mic configuration is essentially the Charlie reimagined with better, more efficient weapons payload. Uh, this configuration carries as its primary weapon an LRM-15 in its right arm, a massive weapon for such a small mech, and in its left arm houses four ER small lasers, giving it a powerful close-in punch for its size. This mech has a battle value of 1200 even. All right, we're getting in the home stretch. Uh, the pop configuration is the second of three ultra-high-speed configurations. The Papa configuration carries 12 micro pulse lasers, making it an infantryman's nightmare. Not to mention the battle armor, which will be coming off of it to get you if the dasher doesn't. Uh, this high speed configuration has a battle value of 841. The Romeo is weird. And not in the good, awesome cosplayer I met at the con type of weird, but more like, who was this thing meant for? Romeo has an electronic suite which carries a C3 slave unit allowing it to work within C3 networks, as well as an ECM suite. It has an improved heavy medium laser in the right torso and left arm. It also has a medium laser, an inner sphere medium laser, in the right arm, and an ER small laser in the right arm, as well as an anti-mech pod in the right leg. Now, I had to look and see who this configuration was available to, because what I thought when I initially saw this was, okay, this must be a Republic um, variant of the design. That makes sense, because I think the Republic did have access to C3 technology and used it not nearly as much as they should have, but, you know, you got to kill the Republic somehow, right? Um, but when I looked, it was perplexing. The design shows up in the late Republic era on the master unit list, but is only available to a few clans. The mech does become available to mercenaries in the Dark Age and the Ill Clan era, though. So when it was first designed, it wasn't even designed for anybody who used C3. Um, so, I mean, you're talking about a machine that was designed with a C3 slave. And the clans not using C3, this is an odd mech, or even it, it's odd to see, it's odd to envision as a design in general before the ill clan era or the, the near end of the, the like three stage dark age. Um, but you know, it's, it's really weird to place this in the context of the universe when it was designed, but otherwise, you know, I mean, it's, it's a solid scout. Um, especially with C3 and its high speed, and it does have a battle value of 1160. Finally, we have the Tango. This is another crazy fast configuration. It once again uses a supercharger to achieve these speeds, and is pretty much a remix of the Dasher Prime. It carries a pair of improved heavy medium lasers in the left arm, a SRM-6 launcher in the right arm, and a one-shot streak SRM-4 launcher in the right torso which I feel could have been used better. As one-shot weapons are pretty useless, except for rocket launchers, in classic at least, because, you know, when you have like 100 missiles shot at you at once, it's brown pants time, right? Um, this configuration is once again the old battle taxi with higher speed and less staying power. Uh, the Tango has a battle value of 1305. So, 
that is a hell of a lot of configurations for this one little chassis. And we're talking like it's the the most unarmored, fastest thing that Omnimac, at least, that the clans have, as I recall. So I was going to do just a select few configurations in Alpha Strike, but there's so much easier to do. Um, and we're going to run through them here. So let's start off by taking a look at the baseline. The Dasher has a baseline of battle mech, type battle mech, size 1. Target movement modifier 4, movement of 26, armor and structure 1 each, and all the configurations have the Omni special ability. Except for three variants, this will not change between any of the configurations. The Prime is a striker, has a short medium values of 3, no long or overheat. Um, the mech has added specials of case and SRM 1 1, uh, and the PV of this configuration is 28. And it makes a pretty decent short and medium range harasser. Um, alpha configurations a scout comes in at 20 points, has a short medium of one, no longer overheat. The mech has, in addition to Omni, AMS, Case, Probe, Recon, and Tag, making it a very effective recon unit in the game, especially if you're incorporating Arrow 4 or Indirect Fire. Um, Bravo configuration comes in at 24 points. And it's a striker, like the Prime. It has short mean of 2, no longer overheat. Has case and ECM as added specials. And is a pretty bare-bones striker when compared to the Prime. And saves a couple points in exchange for that. Charlie configuration of the mech is a missile boat. It is one of the lower point value dashers at 19. It has 1 damage at all ranges with no overheat value. And has added specials of AMS, case, and indirect fire 1 which does allow it to act as a long-range indirect fire or even direct fire standoff unit, but more as an annoyance or even a cleanup unit instead of a harasser or a scout. In its delta configuration, the Dasher is once again a striker unit. It has a point value of 30 and earns this in its higher than average damage output with a short of four, medium of three, no long-range value, and an overheat of one. It hits like most intersphere mediums, and it has the specials of ENE or the special of ENE on top of the Omni special ability. The Echo configuration once again has the ability to reach out to long range. It is a scout, although sniper might be a more accurate description. It does come in at 18 points, which makes it the lowest cost dasher configuration. Um, it has a short value of 2 with a medium and long of 1 and no overheat. The mech has the case, uh, case special in addition to the base Omni. Foxtrot configuration comes in at 31 points and it's a striker. In Alpha Strike, it is much like the Prime with a short medium of 3, no longer overheat. It does have a bit more of recon ability though with the added specials of case, pro, and recon. Gulf configuration is like the, likely the best of the variants as medium range harasser. It's a medium range harasser, I apologize. Uh, this is reflected first with its role as a striker and also with its damage profile. The mech has one of the, is one of the three that has an even higher top speed than normal with a movement of 30 and it hits hard with a short and medium of four, no long range and an overheat of one. 
The mech has the added special of case, and this mech is another of the dashers that is a medium mech in a light mech's body, with astounding speed showing how and showing how effective clan technology can be. This one comes in at 35 points as well. Hotel configuration is one of the most commonly used in the competitive scene. It is a striker at 25 points. It has an amazing combination of speed and firepower that make it so common. The mech only has a short value of five, no medium, no long, but it does have an overheat. Overheat's one. The mech has the added special of ENE, and with its ability to hit with up to six damage, seven in the rear, um, if, you know, if, if it can do that, and it's very easy to achieve that, the hotel configuration has, like, cemented a position in competitive Alpha Strike. Um, also, because of its high speed, and you don't lose any MP until Heat 2, you effectively can get up behind somebody, overheat, pop them for seven heat or seven damage, run away to get cover so you don't have fire that turn, and then come back and do it again. Or you can even do it twice in a row and you're slightly reduced, but actually you lose some TMM too. But yeah, so you would do it, run away, come back and do it again to somebody else. Um, India configuration costs one less than hotel, but is much less effective. The mech has a short, medium, and long of two with no overheat. It is a sniper, able to hit about the same as a blackjack or other inner sewer snipers, if not better, at long range. But it's built on the flimsiest, yet hardest to hit of chassis. The mech has added specials of case and indirect fire zero. Uh, Juliet configuration of the dasher is interesting. Um, it's a little toolbox and in theory could be one of the most annoying to ever be fought up in Alpha Strike. It is categorized as a striker and comes in at 23 points. It has damage values of short and medium of two, no long, no overheat. The mech has specials of ENE and Heat 111 along with the aforementioned Omni. The heat ability makes the mech one of the most interesting configurations that exist as it allows you to play a control style game using one of the hardest to hit ground units in the game. If y'all thought that heat producing heavy mechs were a pain in the butt, yeah, I don't even want to think about what it's like to deal with that. Um, kilo configuration is much like the prime. It's a striker, PV of 28, has short, medium of three, no long or overheat. Uh, the mech has the added case special, but otherwise it's super straightforward. Um, the, yeah, no SRM, so you're not paying for that ability. But for some reason, you seem to be about, about the same point cost. Uh, my configuration of the mech is once again a striker. has point value of 30 with an identical profile to the kilo with the added benefit of one value at long range and the ability to attack with indirect fire one making it similar to char similar to the charlie but somehow it isn't designated as a missile boat like that configuration 
Um, pop configuration is like a faster but stripped down H with a speed of 30. It is one of the fastest dashers. It trades firepower for this though with a damage value of 4 short. No overheat. Obviously no medium or long either. I'll, and it does have the added special of energy. So an H and a P, a hotel and Papa are very, is a very fun little combination because you're basically getting an H and an H light. Um, and yeah, and you can deliver your battle armor on the opponent's side of the table on turn one. Terrifying, right? Uh, Romeo configuration is still the oddball that is in classic, that it is in classic as it is a scout. Has damage values comparable to prime with three at short and medium, no long, no overheat. Um, has added specials of C3 Slave, Case, ECM, and Mech Headquarter 1. The mech is still weird as a C3 mech, uh, which isn't available to any common users of that for two separate eras. It has a point value of 32 because of the assumption it is always C3 linked. So you're actually, unless you're using it for a C3 unit, it's really not giving you anything good. Uh, the final configuration, at least as of this writing, is Tango. Uh, the configuration is essentially a modernized version of the Prime, has a speed of 30, and has damage values of 3 at short and medium. Um, the mech has no overheat or long range, and has the added special of case, and comes in at 28 points. Uh, much like one of the earlier variants, actually. I can't remember which one. Um, the Kilo. But yeah, so... The Kilo and the Tango would give you more modern dashers, if that's a thing that you really care about. Um, overall, the dasher seems to have three primary roles, though. Either a medium-range skirmisher, um, a long-range sniper with the ability to relocate on the fly, and a short-range assassination machine. The mech is, in some of its configurations, amazingly effective, and in others, a support unit, which doesn't make the most of its mobility, with the majority of the configurations falling somewhere in between that. <sighs> so that is our mech deck, and um, for those of you who do not want spoilers for the collected stories in Foxtails, and I apologize for the dog barking, um, I would advise stopping here. If you don't care, or have already read, read it through, then feel free to stick around if you'd like to hear my thoughts on the, the uh, collection. Um, to give you that time to think about it, I'm gonna go grab myself some tea, which is actually like three feet, maybe five feet from me. So don't think about it, and I will uh, hop into it in a moment. <laughs> Okay, so for all of you still here, um, I have to assume that you want to hear my thoughts on Foxtails. It was good. Okay, so let's actually look at the book. Um, 
because you know the general overview of it is that a young technician finds an old mech and becomes a small mercenary unit commander and that would be the quickest synopsis ever of this book uh, because there's so much more to it when you really take a look first i want to talk about the main character katie katie is a young woman who is a technician on a small backwater planet she isn't the daughter of a noble secret regular or otherwise she isn't someone from a Mac Warrior family or went through an academy or anything like that. She has experience driving work mechs and with fixing them. Overall, she is a highly relatable character, and her experiences also reflect the ability she's gained through her work and also the experience that she gains through combat. Um, another thing I'm you know, that I would like to look at or point out with uh, Katie is that Katie is relatable on a few different levels. The first is that she is a woman in this universe and sees it through eyes that aren't noble or who have grown up training to be a mech warrior. Um, the second is she is very technically inclined, which I think is great as many people get into battle tech because of the technical parts of this world. And, I didn't really elaborate on, on the whole being a woman part, but um, other than like your, your femme fatale type characters, like Natasha Kerensky or um, I wouldn't say Lori was a femme fatale, but other than like Natasha Kerensky and, and people like that, most of them, you know, you don't really see them except for, like, love interests, like Omi Corita. Uh, mind you, um, Catherine Steiner Davian um, obviously was a break from this. But, yeah, for the most part, you, you don't see just, like, your average everyday woman character. Um, even Kat, she, she, wasn't, she wasn't a... Uh, she wasn't your average everyday woman character. She was this noble, scheming, conniving, um, I don't want to say monster because I don't want to alienate anyone who likes her, but I would have been on Victor's side of the Civil War. So, um, Going further into the book, though, um, when Katie finds her ride, um, finds her mech, it is a bit awkward. Um. But otherwise, it's well done, as well as her ability to restore and operate it. As the story progresses, she picks up a small ragtag band. Um, they eventually earn enough money to get an old rickety dropship, which initially seems to be held together mostly with hope and bailing wire. Um, as the story progresses off-world, we see them up against an adversary that is much more powerful than them and teaches them a few lessons. And even get to see them working a contract that requires a, requires coordination with another unit that is in a completely different system, in fact, and shows the importance of maintenance and upkeep of units in the Battletech universe due to several malfunctions during that battle. Um, another thing about this collection of stories that it is that it has an incredibly diverse cast of characters, showing us a more human side of the day-to-day -day mercenary work. Uh, this diversity and representation that feels, to me at least, unprecedented in Battletech fiction is wonderful. 
and quite frankly gives the universe a very real feel to it that can be lacking um, for a growing segment of the community, especially for people like myself. Uh, this diversity and representation in no way interferes with the story, and for the most part, isn't any different than most stories, only with a slight difference. Uh, an example that, I would, that I'll give is that two of the oldest members of the unit, Evan and Arky, um, I think I'm pronouncing Arky's name right, uh, they're described as boyfriends when we first meet them in the book. They're in the, the first, second story, I believe. Um, and there was at least one tense situation where you could tell that one was worried about the other during the engagement. Um, this is similar to relationships like Grayson and Lori in the Grey Death Legion books, but is literally just not a cishet relationship. Um, I keep saying um, and I apologize. Additionally, one of the members of the unit appears to be non-binary, uh, using only they-them pronouns whenever anyone refers to them, including the author. And even when Katie's mentor is noticing she isn't around all the time, uh, she's asked if there is a guy or girl she is seeing. It felt very good to see a universe in which all relationships and people are seen as normal and equal, regardless of gender identity or who you love. In addition to that, uh, the representation in the book, part of what I absolutely loved was one of the scenes in the book. During their first engagement, they engage a well-dug-in, very heavily prepared enemy. And this builds up to an engagement with a Kodiak, which is a massive threat to them, as they are all mostly a light unit. And the sheer brutality of this machine, its pilot, and the engagement is a scene that shows you how powerful a machine like the Kodiak is. My next favorite part has to be the second to last story in the collection. It focuses on a couple days on Solaris, shows the seedy underside of the planet in the 32nd century, which is completely juxtaposed with the sheer amazement and almost jubilant glee of Katie finally getting to see the world with fresh eyes. Um, she's very naive. Like, like it's so amazing. It's, it's like seeing the world for the first time, even though we've had it described to us, we've never had this level of Solaris as part of what we've seen. Um, overall, I would like to say that Foxtails is a wonderful read, and I really hope to see more of this unit in the future, and more for from Brian in general. Um, also, by the way, one of the things in the off-story box is a short story by him, um, talking about, actually, the units in the, in the box. So, uh, that is everything for today. All of it. That is the whole podcast uh, so far. What are we at? We are at, oh, it didn't, that's like 46 minutes. Okay, so I really want to go ahead and uh, first of all, I want to thank once again my sponsor, Fortress. Um, they are awesome. They ha they did help make this possible. They provided uh, assistance with the Alpha Strike box set. So if you want to pick that up, Go to FortressMiniaturesAndGames.com, um, and like I said, just type Alpha Strike in the search box, and you will find everything they have related to it. Uh, also, I want to go ahead and just say, if you really like what I'm doing here, if you want to help support the podcast, um, which your support helps us to get things like products to review, it helps us to go to conventions, which... 
eventually I want to be a big part of the podcast of being able to go to a convention and talk to people and, you know, and, um, but yeah, if you want to support the podcast, help us out and, you know, really like what we're doing here, then please go to our Patreon. Uh, it's patreon.com slash unicorn company. And you can donate an independent amount. You can donate as much or as little as you'd like, or you can choose one of the tiers. And um, those do have their benefits. And yeah, so that is it for today. Um, I want to thank all of my patrons because you are a big part of what makes this podcast possible. Um, and I want to thank everyone for listening today. So y'all have a great day, great evening, great, whatever it is where you are while you're hearing this podcast, this is unicorn actual signing off. I want to play the game. You want to sink or swim. I'm going to 